glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Stand with me if you would, please. Let's turn, if you're not turned already, Galatians 3, beginning verse 26. Uh, this is where we ended last week. It says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed, singular, and heirs according to the promise. I said singular there because that was so emphasized in this chapter But the promise to Abraham was to his seed, speaking of Christ. We get that promise by our position in him. This is a very strong doctrinal statement at the end of this text here. Paul combating the idea that you are somehow made acceptable to God by physical ritual. There is no physical ritual, such as circumcision or dietary law, that will make anyone acceptable to God. We are not made acceptable to God by ritual. We are made acceptable to God by position. Spiritual position. Having said that, you may be seated. Turn, if you would, now to Colossians 2. Just want to read our introductory text. We'll be back here in just a few minutes for our second point. Um, Colossians chapter 2, very similar language is used, but there's a different emphasis here in Colossians 2. Really, in Galatians, the emphasis is the merit we have with God because we've been baptized into Christ. Whereas Colossians 2, he's dealing with Judaizers in Colossians 2 as well. They're they're trying to get the Colossians, same problem, trying to get the Colossians back under the the law and under the rituals of the law as though that would somehow make them uh, acceptable to God. But those had all been fulfilled in Christ. But here it would seem that perhaps they were dealing with it. This is how you have to deal with your sins. You put away your sins by righteous ritual Whereas what Paul's going to deal with in the Spirit of God here is, no, your sins are put away by faith in Christ. So the emphasis in Colossians 2 is more on sins uh, and what has been done with our sins. And that's what baptism in Christ is dealing with, is our our sins and our past, where the emphasis in Galatians is more on our position and not so much the dealing with our sins, but our position of, 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 of acceptance into the family of God. So one, what's been done with our sins, and the other, what is done that establishes that relationship with the Lord. And we'll say more about that. But in Colossians 2, uh, let's begin reading in verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. Every Christian ought to memorize that. I would ask you tonight, practically, are you walking in Christ the same way you received Him? Tonight, right now. Are you responding to the Word of Jesus Christ like you did the day you got saved? You became convinced that the message of the gospel was true, and by faith you acted upon that. Amen? We are to walk the same way. He shows us truths in His Word. This is who you are as a Christian. This is what I saved you to be. We respond in faith by saying, you know what? I know He's right. He's the Savior. And we respond in faith. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith. Faith in Him. As you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Look at verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you, through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. 
in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism. There it is again. Wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead and you being dead in your sins and, in the, un- and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all your tr- all trespasses blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailing it to his cross what the law did is it it was against us it was a handwriting of ordinances that was against us and your faith in Jesus Christ removed all of that dealt with all of that so again he references here in verse 12 the concept of being buried with him in baptism he's going to deal with two two different Uh, the Old Testament rite, if you would, R-I-T-E, of circumcision and the New Testament ordinance of baptism, both of them symbolic. When we went through Colossians, we dealt dealt with this. Both of them symbolic of what takes place. Old Testament circumcision is a symbol and a picture of salvation. What we are naturally, by faith in Christ, has been cut away, rolled away. We've been made new creatures. Uh, the baptism, what we are naturally, has been washed through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And we're made to walk in newness of life. Both of those are dealing with, this is what you were. These are the sins under the law against God, but your faith in Christ has dealt with that. So as we're here in Colossians, the emphasis on being baptized into Christ, and of course, let's, let's be reminded of what baptism means. It never ceases to amaze me how we can redefine terms that simply mean what they say. The word baptism uh, is the Greek word baptizo, uh, so it's almost a, what we would call transliteration, even of how it is framed, the way we say it, and it means this, to make whelmed, to make whelmed, that is, fully wet, used only in the New Testament of ceremonial ablution, especially of the ordinance of Christian baptism, uh, to baptize or to wash. It literally means, we say, well, we believe in baptism by immersion, right? That would be like saying, we believe in a bath of water. Right. That would make sense. I mean, you can bathe in other things, but if you're going to bathe and clean up, you do that with water. It's, a, it's redundant to say, we believe in uh, baptism by immersion. It would be like saying, we believe in immersion by immersion. Because that's what it means, to be immersed. When you got saved, you were not merely had a little Christ put on you. You were buried with Him. You were, you were placed in Him, His righteousness covering you completely. And this is why we stand so firmly against any other form of baptism. Can I say this? Other forms of baptism are indicative of other beliefs about salvation. As a church, as your pastor, I can be clear, uh, it, it is... It is very, I do not take the position of uh, the baptism that you, that we'll accept as a legitimate baptism had to be in a church with the name Baptist on it because there are some of those we wouldn't accept their baptism either. There are some Baptist churches that believe you can lose your salvation. When a baptism represents a different gospel, we do not accept it. A person would have to be baptized again in order to become a member of this church. Doesn't mean they were saved. But the fact is, where I've drawn the line is, if the baptism was carried out by a church that teaches, for instance, you can lose your salvation, you have to keep it, we wouldn't accept that baptism. Because that baptism is connected to a belief that it wasn't once and for all. And so we say, no. And why would we do that? Well, because everybody needs to be Baptist. Well, 
everybody needs to be know they're saved when they're added to a church. And so a place we can deal with someone's salvation is say, you know, you must understand you truly were born again. So I'm trying to say this. Uh, when you have sprinkling, you know why churches sprinkle? Because they don't believe in biblical salvation 9.9 times out of 10. They don't believe that you're complete in Christ. They believe you believe on Jesus and then you do this and you do this and you do this and you do this and hopefully all of that combined will be enough to make you good enough for God. That's generally the way that works. Therefore, they'll sprinkle because you know why a church would sprinkle? They believe that's part of salvation. That's how, how many of you know that's how sprinkling came about? It began as something called clinical baptism. When the Roman Catholic Church began to promote her heresy, they began to teach that, if, that you become a Christian by getting water baptized. So Constantine forced people to get water baptized, thus making them Christians with a point of a sword. You, we're, we're, I'm now a Christian. Rome is now a Christian. It was basically this. If you can't beat the Christians, join them. That's the best way I understand Constantine and what he did with so-called Christianity. And so what he'd do is come in. He'd take over a city. His army would take over a city. They were pagans worshiping idols. No, you're going to become Christians. No, we're not. We don't believe this. Oh, yes, you are. Or lose your head. Get in the water. They baptize them, and then now they're Christian. They never quit worshiping idols. They never quit committing fornication. And so that's how you have so much paganism blended with Christian principles and ideas in Roman Catholicism. That's why you can find little idols in their buildings because it was a blend of paganism, which means it's 100% paganism. It's just it's more confusing. Okay. So my point is this. Under that kind of thinking, as I best understand, there were people that believed if you don't get baptized, you're not saved. So then you have someone's on their deathbed. What are we going to do? If they die without baptism, they'll perish. So they would come in clinics with water and either pour or sprinkle since it was impossible physically to dunk them. And it was called clinical baptism. Then you get into the whole thing of infant baptism. We want to secure them. It was likened to circumcision. We want to set them apart. That, that was much promoted through the Reformation and Reformed theology and, and trying to compare circumcision to baptism and a baby circumcised at eight years old to set him apart unto God. We want to set them apart as a Christian. And No, no, a baby can't be a believer. <laughs> we believe in believer's baptism. This is not a whole message about water baptism. I'm trying to say... The, the mode of water baptism is a reflection of what people believe about how you get saved. And so then, we're looking tonight at what it means to, to truly be baptized into Christ. And so then, we find here in Colossians 2, the emphasis is on our baptism into Christ deals with the pardon of our sins. Baptism in Christ is what deals with the sins that we've committed against God. Let's look at this, point out a few things in verses 11 and 12, and then verses 13 through 16. In verse 11, he deals with the fact that our sins have had to be reckoned with before God. There's a reckoning dealt with in Romans 6. I don't mean it in that way, but here I mean our sins having been dealt with, verse 11, it says, in whom, speaking of in Christ, let us back up to verse 10, and ye are complete, the next two words, in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom... Also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made. What's he say next? Without hands. So what he's saying is we're not dealing with something physical here. Now you understand circumcision. We won't get into all the details. We know enough about what that is, that operation, that it deals with what someone is naturally and it takes away what is there naturally and, and casts it away because 
there's uncleanness attached with what one is naturally. So he says, but we're not dealing with physical circumcision in Christ. Your hearts have been circumcised. Your natural heart has been made different. What you are naturally has been cut and thrown away. You are a sinner and unclean and filthy by nature, but you've been circumcised in Christ, and that's been done away with. said, in the circumcision without hands, in putting off the body of sins, of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, meaning the effect of Christ on you is it cut away an old life, a a body of sins, meaning the the conglomerate of sins of your life, the identity of your life of sins before you got saved. Christ dealt with that and put it away, just like circumcision, uh, rolled away the natural aspects of the flesh, even so your heart been made different and new by the circumcision of Christ. So uh, he's dealing with a reckoning with our sins in verse 11. Really, verse 12 is the same. Uh, but here he, he emphasizes the fact that through the resurrection of Christ, our past sins have been dealt with. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him. How? Through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. He said, so through Christ, your sins have been dealt with just uh, liken it to circumcision, the natural man dealt with, you're a new creature in Christ. Now, as Christ was buried and raised from the dead, you're buried with him. How does this happen? If it's a spiritual operation, what's he talking about? He makes it very clear. We're buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him. How? Through the faith of the operation of God. You know what operation means there? It carries the idea of energy or efficiency, strong, effectual working. We are saved by our faith in what God can do. We are saved by our faith. Faith in Christ says, I believe God can deal with my sins and has dealt with my sins through Christ. This is why it's so important that we must. The gospel is not just believing the historical record that Jesus died for my sins. It is believing that God raised him from the dead. If Christ is dead, he is not an effectual savior. Dead men can't save. That's what he's talking about. Uh, let's read it again, verse 12. Buried with him in baptism. That's dealing with our past sins. You and I, in Christ, have been dealt with. We've been crucified in Christ. We are fit for death, and by faith in Christ, we're buried with him. Okay? But that, the, the whole emphasis of Colossians 2 is how our sins have been dealt with, and as much as God dealt with our sins through the death of Christ, God raises us up through the life of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him, through, here's how we're risen with him, faith in uh, the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. The same God that raised Christ from the dead is able to raise me up and make me new. And so, again, the whole emphasis of Colossians here is that we do not deal with our sins through ritual. We deal with our sins through faith in the power of God. Faith in the God who raised Christ from the dead to make me a new creature. This is why a person's got to come to the point where they say, I can't reform myself. Man does not need reformation. Man needs regeneration. Reformation is man's power to make himself look righteous by changing his conduct. But that doesn't change a man's character. Many times better conduct does nothing but hide what's really underneath. Man needs regeneration. And that's what it means to be baptized into Christ, that my faith in Him, my faith in what God would do for me upon my faith in Christ, 
is what accomplished the washing away of my sins, the putting away of the sins of the flesh. I was a liar. I was this. I was this. But God saved me. This is why a child of God who's been born again, living in the same sins he lived in before he got saved, is such confusion. We must deal with this night, and I'll deal with this more in Romans chapter 6. But when I got saved, God dealt with completely what I was. To continue to live that way is to say one of two things. Either God didn't really save me, or I've not laid a hold of what He did for me, but it's not God's will for us to continue to live with the sins that we have recognized. Those killed me. They're in the past. And can you imagine if, how many have ever had somebody like this? Say, have you ever, you ever stolen? Well, I'd say I used to. How many ever get somebody to admit to you the sins they're committing now? Very rarely. What if somebody, what if you said, Pastor, are you addicted to gambling? So you know, boy, I used to have a real problem with that. I didn't, by the way. That wasn't, I've had plenty of other sins, but gambling hasn't been one of them. I'm thankful. You say, well, I didn't know gambling was sin. We need to have a talk. Amen. It is. <laughs> now, let's say, well, I was addicted to gambling. You say, boy, I'm glad you got the victory over that. It's all me too. God saved me. And then you notice my car's down at the end, down there. Five out of seven days of the week. Hey, Pastor, did you get a new job? I noticed you're working down at the Kootenai Valley Inn. That's surprising to me, being you were a former gambler. Oh, I don't work there, no. No, I just, I, I like to visit. got good food on the menu. Say, well, what are you doing there? Well, go in there and have a steak. By the way, I've never been in there, never eaten in there, not planned on it. But I, I see your cars down there, and I say, well, yeah, yeah. And then you find out that I am actually going in there playing the slots five out of seven days of the week. My poor family can't eat or be clothed because I'm gambling. You're like, wait a minute. I thought you said you used to be a gambler. Oh, I did. You still are? I don't consider it. I'm not addicted. You know, I, I spend all my paycheck there, and I do it habitually. But I'm not addicted. No, no. There's a lot of people living their entire Christian life that way. Oh, God save me. And to some, you want to say, from what? What what was it that got dealt with? What past sins were cut away because they're still attached? I'm not talking about the struggle that every Christian has between the flesh and the spirit. We'll deal with that in Galatians. I'm talking about living a life where sin is ruling your life. You know what? God says no when God saved you. And by the way, you don't overcome sin by replacing sinful habits with righteous rituals. That's what Colossians was being dealt with. No, no. You overcome sin by dealing, realizing Christ dealt with it. That the penalty for your sin was death. When you got saved, you accepted that. Now, if you've not accepted that, then that's not salvation. Salvation is accepting death is what I have earned, but death is what Christ accomplished for me. Life is what I need. I can't produce it, so I trust Him. He pardons me. Christ dealt with our sins once and for all. Uh, just as circumcision completely modified the one that underwent, underwent it. Faith in Christ modifies you. It puts away the old and makes you new. And so then the emphasis in Colossians 2 is what has been... Baptism in Christ effectually deals with our sins before God. Okay, so let's move on to our final point, verses 13 through 16. In, in the, the, the pardon of our sins is emphasized in Colossians 2 as it relates to being baptized into Christ. Verse 13, And you... Being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh. So that's what you were in your past. You were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. 
hath he quickened together with him. So he's still in the context of having been buried with him in baptism. He says, having forgiven you, how many trespasses? All trespasses. All right, we'll pick back up right here, okay? Uh, verse, verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Verse 15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. The entire emphasis of Colossians 2 about being buried with him in baptism is that our sins have been fully dealt with. They are buried with Christ. We are raised to walk in the newness of life. So that deals with our past uh, in so much that buried with, with Christ and being baptized in Christ means my past is behind me. My sins have been forgiven. I'm now new. And we'll touch on all this again our final point. Number two in Galatians chapter three. So one deals with baptism in Christ is how God dealt with our sins. Our sins have been washed away through faith in his blood. Again, we, we referenced 1 Corinthians 6.11 a couple of times in Sunday school this morning. Uh, the Bible says, uh, and such were some of you. And get just given a list of terrible sins. Such were some of you, but ye are, what's the first thing he says? Washed. Meaning the sin that defined you, you've been washed clean. How? Through baptism into Christ Jesus. Being in Christ deals with our sins and have, has washed them away. Because there's no sin in him. And so then, Colossians 2 deals with baptism in Christ is dealing with the pardon of our sins, and it really emphasizes our past life in contrast to our new life. Number two, Galatians deals with the, the position we have of sonship, the position. One deals with pardon, emphasizes pardon of sins. Galatians emphasizes position in the family of God. Galatians 3.26, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So not only have our sins been put away, the righteousness of Christ has now been put on. Just like a good bath would not only put away the filth of the flesh, it's going to put on some clean water. It's going to put on a new, uh, a, 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 a new cleanliness, if you would. Of course, fleshly washing is temporary only. This says verse 27, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all, all, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. We won't have time to turn there. And I'll read the last verse here in just a moment. But again, the emphasis here was uh, in Colossians. The Colossians are being taught you need to be circumcised to deal with your sinfulness. You're Gentiles. You're filthy. You're not fit for God. You've been fornicators. You need to go through the ritual of circumcision in order to deal with your sins. I said I would stay put. I lied. Uh, yeah, that's what you're going to have to do. And Paul says, no, you have to be in Christ. That's what deals with your sins. That's what's going to wash away your filthiness. That's what's going to make you fit for God. So that, that's how sin is dealt with. Galatians, what they're saying is if you want to be in the elite of God, you want to be in the elite class, you want to be in God's family, these are the things that make you righteous. Those are the things that deal with your sin, that they're the same things that make you righteous. Paul says, no, it's being in Christ that makes you acceptable to God. And so then we begin with the fact that being baptized into Christ means we are now in him. It positions us differently. We were in our sins. Now we're in Christ. Not we were in our sins and now we're in Judaism. We were in our sins, but now we're, uh, now we're in a Baptist church. We were in our sins. We, no, we were in sins. Now we're in Christ. And so he begins with dealing, first of all, baptism into Christ gives us access to the family of God. 
Uh, let's read again verse 26. For ye are all the children of God. And I love the simplicity. I said this last week. I love the simplicity of verse 26. It makes it so abundantly clear how we are God's children. Ye are the children of God. Ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. You put your faith in Christ. That gave you access to the family of God. Uh, John 1.12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. When Satan wants to confuse you about what it means to be saved, are you really a child of God? And he gets you focusing on your performance more than your position. You know what? Your confidence in your position will solidify your performance. When you start looking at your performance, you'll begin to question your position. Now, I don't know misunderstand me. Your obedience to God, not performance, because I'm using the word performance on purpose. You know how often we judge our performance as a Christian by comparison to another Christian? Comparing ourselves among ourselves, we are not wise. That's not wise. You know what you and I need to compare our performance to? The Word of God. Am I doing what I know my Savior wants me to do? He will not lead you and command you to do something. He won't empower you to do. But when we start looking at somebody else and say, man, I'm not that kind of a Christian. Man, I don't pray. You know how many times you think other people are better Christians than they really are? And if they're really a good Christian, they'll tell you what a good Christian they're not. I'm not saying we can't be faithful. I don't mean that. My point is, Paul said, I have not yet apprehended. I have not yet obtained. I press toward the mark. Meaning, I'll be there when I get a new body. Until then, I am in a battle, and I'm in a forward progress. I'm in a race, and a marathon, and so forth. So, our access to the family of God is by faith in Christ Jesus. If you are trusting Jesus Christ, you're a child of God. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And that's that simple. So, uh, he deals with the fact that being baptized into Christ here is speaking of our access to the family of God. Number two, he speaks of the adorning that we have. He says in verse 27, For as many of you as have been, he's using terms synonymously, faith in Christ Jesus is being baptized into Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have done what? Put on Christ, meaning you traded your filthiness for his righteousness. Uh, for he hath made him, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God, in him, God requires sinless righteousness. There's only one person that can provide that. That is Jesus Christ. Upon your faith in Christ, you're acknowledging, I'm not fit to be in the family of God. Only Jesus Christ. But I'm willing to trust him if he'll make me fit. And when you were baptized into Christ, he put off your sins. He dealt with your sins through his cross and his death. And then he put his righteousness on you. That's what he means by having put on Christ Jesus. We are now in Christ Jesus, meaning when God looks at me, he's not seeing me. He's seeing the righteousness of his son. I'm in Christ Jesus. I, I have access through faith in Christ. I am adorned with the righteousness of Christ. I began to say this a moment ago. You go back to the parable in uh, Matthew, and it's also in Luke, I believe, chapter 14, of the king who invited guests to his wedding. You remember that? And some said, they began to make excuse, well, I've got oxen and I've married me a wife and I land and this and this. But you remember the last man that came to the wedding? What was wrong with him? He did not have a what? Wedding garment. Meaning he says, God can accept me as I am. No, no, God doesn't accept anybody as they are. And what the Judaizers were teaching is if you're going to adorn yourself with God, you have to adorn yourself with Mosaic law. And God said, that's already been proven. You can't do that. When you try to conform to Mosaic law, all you're doing is adorning yourself with filthy rags. 
because you can't live up. So what you better do is submit to the righteousness of Christ. That's what Romans 4 deals with. They've not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God, which is through faith in Jesus Christ. And so here we're talking about what makes us acceptable to God. It is being baptized into Christ. It is faith in him that's dealt with my sinful past and my sins against God. But it's faith in him that says it is he who makes me righteous enough for God. That gives me a standing with God. He goes on to say in verse 28, there is neither Jew or Greek. God doesn't look at you and say, well, I accept the Jews and not the Greeks. No. And by the way, there are people who pervert the word of God who love to go to this and say, see, it doesn't matter. God doesn't care. They love this about the male-female. In Christ, it's neither male nor female. So women can preach and men can preach and women can pastor. Have you ever heard anybody twist this scripture and do that with that? What a bunch of nonsense. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about our, our position before God. What makes us acceptable to God? Not about how a church should function. That's not the context. He's dealing with, what is our position for God? He said, in Christ, it's not about whether you're a Jew or Greek, male or female, bond or free. None of that is, is, is even on the table, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Meaning, God only accepts one, Jesus Christ. And if you're in him, you're one. You're in Christ. I'm in Christ. You're in Christ. We're inside the same person, and God only accepts one. Jesus said, uh, uh, to Thomas, he said, I, uh, he said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. I would even say this, he says, ye are all one in Christ Jesus. This is not even a text about unity. It's talking about God's sole way of salvation. One way, only one. There's one God and one, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. It's this matter of all being one in Christ. If you want the verse on unity, go to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, about how the body should function. We are by one spirit baptized into one body. This oneness in Christ is not, not ecumenicism. This is dealing with our spiritual position. God will only accept one, and that's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And your having been baptized into him makes you acceptable to him. By him, we are accepted in the beloved. Ephesians chapter 1, now if you would, uh, as we conclude this matter of what being baptized in Christ, it deals with being baptized in Christ is how our sins have been dealt with. They've been washed away through faith in Christ. It deals with our position uh, and our, our, our personal standing with God of righteousness through being baptized into Christ. So uh, Ephesians chapter 1. We referenced this verse in Sunday school this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, some of these terms of predestination are used. We need to understand them in the way that God uses them in the Bible. Uh, he says this, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. What's the next two words? In Christ. You know how we have access to all the heavenly blessings? You've been baptized into Christ through faith in Him. Verse 4, According as He hath chosen us in Him. Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto, what's he say next? The adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself. Don't confuse that with God chose you to get saved without you. That is not what that verse is saying. Adoption of children is every saved person has been predestinated to an inheritance in heaven. That's what the adoption is dealing with. Okay, well, Another message at another time for that. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, that's verse 4, and without blame, before him in love. Verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children 
by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Here it is. To the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us, and I've underlined in my Bible, accepted in the beloved. All those verses are dealing with our position in Christ is what gives us access to God, acceptance with God. God will only accept one, and that's Jesus Christ. And you are either in Christ and accepted or outside of Christ and rejected. And if you've been born again, if you've come to faith in Christ, you're a child of God by faith, your baptism in Christ washed away your sins. Your baptism in Christ has given you access to all the riches of God. In fact, the adoption that's referenced is dealing with our inheritance in the future. Look with me now, if you would, at Romans chapter 8. So we're talking about our our baptism gives us access to the family of God uh, uh, and the riches of God. It gives us an adorning with the righteousness of Christ, makes us acceptable to God and accepted in the blood, and gives us the adoption of sons, meaning all the inheritance that a son gets we have been given in Christ Jesus. That is our foreordained future if you're in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And let me just say this. When it comes to Calvinism, many times these terms are used interchangeably. Adoption is not synonymous with regeneration. No, no. Adoption, again, is dealing with something in the future for us. Now, we do, how many of us have the full inheritance? You've been given a new body. No, that's still future. That's part of our adoption. That's part of what you get when the adoption is finalized. And don't misunderstand. It's finalized in the sense of we're sons of God. But let's listen to Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. It says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then what? Heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. He's talking about something future. Glorification is still future, and that's part of the adoption package for us. Look at verse 23. He says, For we are saved, or excuse me, and not they only, but ourselves also which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for what? The adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. You know what the adoption is? It's when we get a new body. That's our, that's our inheritance in Christ. How do we have that? We're baptized into Christ. So one deals with pardon. Colossians 2 says, because you're baptized in Christ, you're forgiven of your sins, you're pardoned. But because you're baptized in Christ, you have a position as a son. You have a glorious future. You have a glorious standing before God right now. Why? Because through faith in him, his death and resurrection dealt with my sins and also gave me a new nature. The twofold aspect of the gospel is his death has dealt with my sins. His life gives me righteousness and life. If you take one away from the other, it makes the whole thing ineffective. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10 deal with he died for us, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than being reconciled by his death, we should be saved through his life. So we're reconciled to God, meaning our sins dealt with through his death, but we are saved or delivered from the power of sin through his life. And the baptism into Christ is speaking of both. My sins have been washed away through my position in Christ, and I've been given a brand new position of, adopted, of adoption as a son of God and the family of God being an heir of God. That's what he says in verse 29 of Galatians 3. And if ye be Christ, 
then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. He's tagging back to what he dealt with that he made a promise to Abraham that in thy seed shall all families of the earth be blessed. So if you want that blessing, you have to be in the seed. That's by regeneration, being born again. You and I are placed in Christ. And in Christ, we have the blessing that God promised to Abraham. Not through performance of rituals, but through position in Christ do we inherit the blessings. Number three, what does this mean to us? Okay, my sins have been pardoned. I'm now in that seed. The seed, not seeds. I'm not... How do you become, you know what they were, you know what the Judaizers are saying? You have to act outwardly like you're a Jew to get the promises made to Abraham. And you know what Paul said? No, you have to be made one inwardly by faith in the, in the promised seed. And when you have faith in Christ, you're a Jew inwardly. That doesn't mean the church replaced Israel. It means you're just like Abraham. You believe God and God's counted that to you for righteousness. So we're pardoned from our sins through being baptized into Christ. We have a standing of sonship. Through baptism into Christ, wonderful, let's go home. No, no, all of that should impact us in a practical way. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. All the things already been dealt with, Paul's going to package together here in Romans 6, the Holy Spirit of God, and then make application. Because your sins are pardoned, because you're a new creature, because now you're a child of God, that should affect how we live in this life. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, apparently, the Apostle Paul was being accused of preaching that now that we're saved by grace, you can just go break God's law and sin. He said, no, 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 that's not at all, that's not all true. Romans 6.1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? We were already living in sin before we got saved. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? If you've died to a sin, if sin's lost its hold on you, isn't that what it means to be dead to something? Someone says, hey, hey, pastor, do you want a, uh, you want a lottery ticket? I'm like, I'm dead to that. I don't, I don't care. Why are we talking about gambling tonight, right? No, I'm dead to that. You want to you come down and play the slots? No. I have no desire. I, that's past. That's something we used to do. I, my faith in Christ has ended my relationship with that sin. Men, how should we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not? That so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. We were buried, baptized into his death. Therefore, verse 4, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, just like he came out of the grave physically, even so we should walk in what? Newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Our sinful man was crucified and dealt with. Our sins dealt with through his death. But that's not all. Baptism, aren't you glad in baptism they just don't stick you under and keep you there? No, you're raised up to walk in newness of life. Then verse 5, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man... The natural sinful man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not, what's it say next? Serve sin. Now he's dealing with the power of a sanctified life. The baptism in Christ has 
pardon your sins. It's dealt with your old man. Your old man has been crucified and buried in Christ. Your faith in Christ has buried your natural man. When, it, when the Bible says old man, so I got saved at five. I didn't have a lot of old man. Oh, you have as much as anybody else. I got saved as a four-year-old. How much old man was there? How much of an old nature did I have at four years of age? 100% old nature. Just hadn't had enough time to manifest itself like some others had. That what I was naturally as a little four-year-old sinner, when I put my faith in Christ, that natural man was killed. Me and the natural man is no longer the driving force. He's buried with Christ. Same for you. Whether you're four or 40 when you got saved, doesn't matter. The same thing takes place. And so then he goes on to say, knowing this, that our old man is crucified, verse 6, with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that we should, that we henceforth, the henceforth, we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not, now here's what this means to you and I, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. See what he's saying? Because you're in, you've been baptized in Christ, you've been forgiven, but you've also been freed. You died to sin by faith in Christ, now live unto God. Whose responsibility is to make sure that sin doesn't reign in my mortal body? It's mine. Can I do that? Says, I can't help it. Not if you're saved. That's the lie of the devil. The lie of the devil says you can't. Now, I've been baptized in Christ. My sins are forgiven and I have the life of Christ in me now. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law. It's only under the law that sin has dominion. Every time you try to, to, to do right, sin law, the law pins you back down and proves you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. No, under grace, you're a saint. The grace of God prevailed where sin did abound. Grace did much more abound. The grace of God gave you what is necessary to liberate you from sin through Christ. Therefore, the practical application of this is, look, we are new creatures. My old man is crucified. I'm not the same person. I'm a new person. Therefore, don't live the same life you used to live. Because of this matter of being baptized in Christ, what God is saying is, you have power to live a sanctified life. And so he goes on to say, verse 12 through 14, again, let not sin therefore reign. This is the concluding issue of Romans 6. Because your old man is dead and you're a new man, don't let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey in the luster of. Neither yield your, your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. This deals with, again, Here's the application of this wonderful doctrine to your life. You were a servant of sin, but that servant of sin is dead. Now you're a servant of God. So serve righteousness. Don't yield to sin. May I say this tonight? When I preach this, you were thinking about fornication and adultery and idolatry and all sorts of immorality. All that's true. We should not yield to that. May I say this? You shouldn't yield to bitterness. You shouldn't yield to slothfulness. 
One of the most prevailing and, and seductive sins in the world is slothfulness. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Well, I just can't serve God. It's amazing to me what we can do. But boy, when it comes to God, I just I can't. I don't. Boy, doing what's right is too hard. Well, then you must not be saved. So you're trying to make me doubt my salvation? No, actually the opposite. It's a lie of Satan. Satan wants to convince you you're still what you were. Look, at, if you trust in Christ, you're not what you were. You've been buried with him and raised to walk in the newness of life. You are now a child of God because you've been baptized into Christ. Your sinful person is dead. So when that old flesh comes along saying, by the way, we're going to get into more of this in Galatians, comes along saying, well, you have to do this or you have to do that. I'll use the same analogy I used this morning in Sunday school. If I have a former boss that calls me up and tells me to come into work tomorrow, I can tell him, sorry, Charlie, I don't work for you anymore. You have no right to call me and tell me how to spend my time. I don't work for you anymore. You know what? Sin comes along and says, you, you must think this. You must do this. You have to. You, your family history. This is just the life that you've been given. Listen tonight. If you're saved, living defeated, somewhere Satan has lied to you about who you are and what you can do. One of the greatest lies Christian believes is that you have to somehow yield to sin. If you have to yield to sin and you have no choice and you are convinced of that, then you need to be born again. Bottom line, I can't help, I'm just a bitter person. Then get born again. Well, I am born again. Then quit believing the lie of Satan that you have to serve that sin that's buried in Jesus' grave. He went to the grave for that sin. Quit glorifying what put him on the cross. Amen? Sin is something for the child of God that is no longer a controlling power in our lives. But you know what Paul says here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, verse 11? Likewise, just like you know Jesus died for you and come out of the dead, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin. You know what reckoning is? It's like balancing your checkbook. Let me ask you this. Let's say you thought, man, I don't have enough grocery money for the, the rest of the month. I only have $85 in my account. Man, here we are the second day of October. We're going to starve. And you get on the bank uh, account and used to you'd wait for your statement. Now you can just pick it up on your phone or your laptop or whatever. And you look at your account and it says you've got 1085 like, whoa, that ain't right. I got some checks haven't cleared. So you go over it again and you go over it again. And you call the bank and they say, no, that's what you have. And there's nothing outstanding on your account. And you go back and realize you did some bad math. You know what you need to do? Reckon. You got to do some reckoning. Say, what I thought is not what is true. So you think tonight, as a saved person, you have to sin. And by the way, your flesh wants to. So God's not saying you don't have fleshly struggle. That's not what he's saying in Romans 6. If you're going to overcome that fleshly struggle, you've got to get in line with what God says. You're not an old creature. You're a new one. And so live in accordance with what God's done for you. If Christ is in you, the same one who came up out of the grave has liberated you to live a sanctified life for his glory and his honor. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost which he shed on us abundantly through Christ Jesus our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Savior, verse 7 Titus 3, that being justified by his grace we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's all about our position and our pardon. But look at verse 8. 
or listen to verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Getting a hold of the fact I'm pardoned and I'm a son of God is the power to maintain a life of good works. You know what? I'm no longer the old sinner bound by sin. My faith in Christ. You say, how can I know that though? Let's, let's end with this. How can I know my sins are pardoned through faith in Christ? Help me here. How do we know? That book says it. How do I know I'm in Christ? Do you believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is? Have you personally transferred your faith to him and let him know I'm trusting you as my Savior? Yes, I have put my trust in him. Then it's done. Your old man is crucified and you're new in Christ. Now appropriate that into your life. Reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God. You know what reckoning is? It's a mental issue. Your heart's been changed. You're changed in the sight of God. You have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. Now get your mind in conformity to the Word of God. Reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin. You may be sitting here tonight and say, and I'm going to tell you something, this is one of the challenges of youth. Your flesh is weak in performing the will of God, therefore it's strong in its passions. Right? That's true. And what happens is the flesh screams, I have to have my way, there's no other way, and we believe that lie. Your fleshly reasoning will never be truthful. It will always be rooted in deceit. So what are you going to believe? God's word that says you're new or your old fleshly reasoning that says you have to live the old way? Every step of forward progress is by faith. Am I going to take God at his word? Am I going to reckon that I actually am a new creature empowered by the life of Jesus Christ? I'm baptized into Christ. You know what that means? I'm a new creature. Then walk in newness of life. Not as someone who's bound to sin, but someone who is free to do right. Think about that. That's the way God frames it. We are bound to sin. But if I'm saved, I'm free to do right. Romans chapter 7 and 8 concludes that way. He talks about the law of sin and death in our members. But then in verse chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, meaning you don't trust your impulses, you trust the Word of God, and live accordingly. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. That's, we're going to see the same terminology in Galatians chapter 5. When we walk by faith, I believe God. God told me that faith in his son has dealt fully with my sins, has made me a new creature and given me a new position in Christ. I am a child of God. And what does that mean? I am no longer a servant to the past life. I am now a servant to God. Live accordingly. Make sense? Amen. We're baptized into Christ Jesus. We have a new position in him. And I am thankful for it. I'm glad our strength is not generated from looking to our own abilities. Our strength is generated by looking to the one who died for us. If he conquered the grave, he's conquered sin and he's conquered it all. We live by faith. Amen.